name. Amen. All right, let's turn together to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a book in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 18. If you want to follow along, let's keep cutting in and out. Okay, let's just switch to this, if that's okay. First Kings chapter 18, if you want to follow along, it's on page 300 in the Pew Bible in front of you, page 300. I'm going to read, we'll cover a lot of the chapter, but, but just to start us this morning, I'm going to read verses uh, 36 and 37. First Kings 18, verses 36 and 37. God's word says this, and at the time of the offering of the ablation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. When I was in elementary school, around fourth or fifth grade, somewhere in there, just doing a little confession moment with you, if you'll, if you'll let me do that. Fourth or fifth grade, I was invited to go to a friend's house after school. And so I was super excited about that. And I, my grandma worked at the school, and so normally I would hang out with her after school. And so I said, hey, Grant, can I go to my buddy's house after school? And she said, well, you need to call your mom. Okay, well, can I go use the phone? Because there wasn't... Obviously, there weren't cell phones at this time. And, and kids, there was a time where like, you had to actually call your parents' work and ask to talk to them. It was terrifying. You couldn't just get them directly. And so I, I go and the, use the, office at, the phone in the office at the school, call my mom, no answer. So wait a few minutes and trying to, trying to get an answer so I can figure out what to do. Go back, call my mom again, no answer. And so I thought, my mom didn't answer. I don't know what I'm going to do. I know the answer I want. So we'll just go with that. So I went back, told my grandma, told my buddy's mom. I talked to my mom. She said it was fine if I came over to your house. Kids, this is not a story of what to do. This is a story of what not to do, just so you know. But I decided to create my own answer and just said, yeah, I got a hold of my mom. She said it was fine. Everyone, oh, that sounds great. And so I went to my friend's house. Well, my mom would normally come to pick us up from my grandma's house. And so she called my grandma and said, hey, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. And my grandma said, why are you coming here? Cameron's over at uh, the, his friend's house. Oh, what? He never told me that. Well, he told me he talked to you. Then I was in trouble, big time. I've been caught. I've been caught, got home, we had a conversation about it, and I was in trouble. I was grounded for three years, I think, somewhere in there. Still grounded, still doing the time for that. But I wanted an answer, didn't get the answer, created my own answer. And, and answers are really important to us. Like in, in that moment, I wanted an answer to know how to, if I could go to my friend's house or not, or we want an answer to a text message 
There, there's not a lot of things that can create anxiety in some people more than seeing someone has read a text message you sent them, but they've never responded. Or you just see the three little showing that they're typing, and you don't know what they're going to say back. Or an answer about a job interview that you've had, or an answer about a, a college that you've applied for that you're trying to get into, or an answer about a team that you tried out for that you are trying to make. We, answers are important to us. And also in prayer, answers are important to us. We want to know, we want to see, we want to experience that our prayers are being answered, that our prayers are working. We're about halfway through this study on prayer called the story of prayer, where we're walking, tracing the story of prayer from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And as we come to this idea of the answer, answers to our prayers, and we'll talk about this again from a different angle in a couple weeks We have to be careful as we think about prayer here because we can fall into the trap of thinking that the answer to prayer is dependent on how we pray. But it actually completely rests on who we pray to. It completely rests on who we pray to. And as we are working through this series, we've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, still there this morning. We'll get to the New Testament in a couple weeks. But today we come to the story in 1 Kings 18 of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Now, just from a story standpoint, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It has everything you want in a story. It's a really, really good story. But there's so much for us to learn from this story about prayer because I just read Elijah's prayer to you from verses 36 and 37, but there's actually two prayers happening in this story, but only one answer. There's two prayers, but only one answer. And we're going to see from this story this simple truth that only the Lord answers prayer. Only the Lord answers prayer. It's a simple truth, but it's a truth that I think is meant to have deep, deep effect on our lives. So we're going to walk through this story, and here's how we're going to break it down for for all of us. We're going to see Elijah's contest. And we're going to see Baal's answer. That's another God being prayed to. Baal's answer and then the Lord's answer. Two different prayers, only one answer. So let's look at the background a little bit and we'll see Elijah's contest here at first. Just to give us a little bridge from where we were last week to where we are now. Last week we saw Hannah's prayer in the book of 1 Samuel. And Hannah's prayer was prayed during the time of the judges. And there was this little hint at the, end, at the end of Hannah's prayer about a king coming. And it was actually through Hannah's son, Samuel, that God appointed the first king in Israel, Saul. That did not work out very well, but eventually came the, the great king of Israel, the most popular king, the best king of Israel, King David. And then after that, there's this mixture of good kings and bad kings, mostly bad kings. And they lead Israel away from the Lord. And down that line of kings, we meet this king named Ahab and his wife, whose name is Jezebel. They are some of the worst of the worst rulers in the history of Israel. Actually, in, we, won't, we won't read this part, but you can, you can look at it. Uh, back in 1 Kings 17, I think it is, when we first meet Ahab, 1 Kings 16, verse 30, here's how his whole deal is described. It introduces Ahab, it talks about his wife Jezebel, and then it says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That's not really what you want to be known for. 
There were a lot of bad kings. But Ahab did more evil than any other king that came before him. And together, Ahab and Jezebel led Israel to turn away from worshiping the Lord to worshiping other gods, specifically Baal, a god named Baal. And as a result of that, as a result of their idolatry, the Lord brings this drought and brings this famine on his people. Now what happens after that is Ahab and Jezebel say, well, this is the prophets of the Lord's fault. So they start to hunt down the prophets of the Lord. And Elijah is the only one either still alive or the only one not in hiding at this point. But finally, Elijah and Ahab's paths cross. And you can feel, you can imagine the tension in a moment like this. Here's here's how it goes down. Look with me at 1 Kings 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. In your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sees Elijah and says, "There, there you are, you troubler of Israel. Ahab thinks Elijah is the cause of Israel's troubles But Elijah points out the irony that it's actually Ahab's failure to trust God's promises and obey his commands that have brought about all this difficulty for Israel. The problem is not Elijah. The problem is Ahab and the people of Israel have turned away God's people from God. And so Elijah presents this challenge. He says, I want you to gather all the people of Israel to me and meet me at Mount Carmel. And I want you to bring the people of Israel and also bring with you the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, all who were in Jezebel's inner circle, all the people that they supported. Here's what happens next, verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. On Mount Carmel, we have Elijah. We have all the people of Israel and the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. But Elijah doesn't first speak to the prophets. He speaks to the people and he asks them this confronting question when he says, how long are y'all going to limp between two different opinions? It's an interesting word that we see there, right? It's not, almost doesn't seem to fit, but I think it's there on purpose. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? You're going to see this word come up again in the same chapter, so, so hold on to this word in your mind. But I think the image here is that the people of Israel are hobbling on crutches from one side to the other. They're hobbling around from one side to the other. And he says, you're hobbling back and forth between worship. It's not you're going from not worshiping to worshiping. You're going from worshiping the one true God to worshiping the false God. And he re- I think he uses the word limping because he says, you've crippled yourself in approaching worship this way. 
Your indecisiveness, Israel, has made you weak. Your idolatry has hurt you. And so he gives them a straightforward choice. He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. And then Elijah's going to lay out the rules of the contest. Look, look with me down in verse 24. And pay attention to the language here. This might sound familiar to you from other things we've talked about in this series on prayer. Verse 24, he says, You call upon the name of your God, and I'll call call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So Elijah tells him, we're going to have two bulls, and you're going to lay a bull on the altar, and then you're going to pray to your God. I'm going to lay a bull on the altar. I'm going to pray to my God. Whichever God answers by fire, that's the true God. But the language he uses is so interesting. He says, you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. If you remember, when we started this series on prayer, we started in Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis chapter 4, around verse 25, 26, it says, and at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's where we said, this is where prayer seems to really take a focus and take a start in the Bible. People began to call upon the name of the Lord. The exact same language, the exact same wording that Elijah's using. He's saying, you pray, see if your God answers. I'll pray and see if my God answers. Whichever God answers is the true God. This is, this is where the difference is going to come. Everything else in the contest is the same. Both have altars. Both are laying out bulls. Both are praying. But he says at the end of verse 24, the God who answers, he is God. The God who answers, he is God. So they're about to find out that only the Lord answers prayer. Only the Lord answers prayer because only the Lord is God. So let's see how this plays out. We're going to look at Baal's answer now. Baal's answer. Elijah tells the prophets of Baal that they should go first. But just picture this. Don't forget the the numbers here. It's 450 verse 1. 450 prophets of Baal, one Elijah, prophet of the Lord. So the prophets of Baal go first. Here's how it plays out. Verse 26. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. They pray to Baal for half the day, from morning until noon, and they cry out over and over and over, Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us. But then you see at the end of verse 26, but there was no voice, And no one answered. So they add a little bit more to it at the end of verse 26. Here's that word again. And they limped around the altar that they had made. You remember Elijah just asked, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Same word shows up again. The prophets of Baal, these 450 prophets, that's a lot of people, limp around the altar that they had made. I think... The narrator uses this word because I think he's trying to help us understand what's really going on in the story. I think he's interpreting this for a little bit for us. That one author described it this way, 
the dance of faith has given way to the slow, crippled walk of idolatry. And the people of Israel have grown weaker and more pathetic because they've turned away from the Lord. Well, the 450 prophets are unsuccessful in getting Baal to answer them, and so Elijah actually begins to mock them. Here's what he says in verse 27. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is amusing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or maybe he's asleep and must be awakened. Elijah's mocking them. And kids, this is it's kind of funny. It's meant to be a little humorous what Elijah's saying. He says, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep and you need to wake him up. Maybe he, he went on a trip and he'll be back and he'll answer you when he gets back. I don't, but I don't think that there is meant to be a little bit of humor to that. But I don't think Elijah's goal is to make everyone there laugh. I think he's showing the emptiness of thinking any of this is going to work. He says, this is all foolish. This is all goofy. It's laughable because your prayers are not going to be answered. This does not stop the 450 prophets of Baal. They actually turn up their intensity. Here's what they do next. Verse 28. Verse 28. And they cried aloud. So they keep praying. O Baal, answer us. They cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. They're doing everything they can to try and get Baal's attention, to get Baal to notice them, to get Baal to answer their prayers. And Baal's answer, verse 29, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. So most of the day, and then pay attention to this final sentence of verse 29, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Back in verse 26, it just says there was no voice and no one answered. And now it adds another phrase there. No voice, no one answered, no one even paid attention to them. Not only did Baal not respond, he didn't even notice them. He didn't even hear them. Why did he not notice them or hear them? Because he's not real. Because he's not real. This is what Psalm 115 has been kind of pointing us to as it's been guiding our worship service. In that psalm, there's this part where it talks about our idols, and it says in verse 4, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. This is exactly what you see playing out on Mount Carmel that day. And actually, the scene that the prophets of Baal put on, it makes me think of Jesus' teaching on prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. I think there's meant to be a connection for us there. You, you can turn there with me if you want to. It should also be on the screen. But look with me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to come, come back to this again at the end. So it might be helpful to put a little marker there. Matthew chapter 6. 
I just want to look at two, two short verses in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus is talking about prayer. We're actually going to come back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, after we finish our series on prayer, we're going to go study the whole deal from Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. But just to touch this point now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, notice what Jesus says that we shouldn't do when we pray. And think about how it's like the, the prophets of Baal. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles. The the Gentiles were, in in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here, were those who didn't worship the Lord. But notice, Jesus doesn't say the Gentiles don't pray. He doesn't say, don't be like the Gentiles. They don't pray. You need to pray, so pray. He says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray like those who don't trust the Lord. He points out that the way his followers pray should not sound the same as the way those who don't trust Jesus pray. And he says that we're to not heap up empty phrases, thinking we're going to be heard for our many words. The prophets of Baal cried out from morning until noon, O Baal, answer us, O Baal, answer us. Heaping up empty phrases, thinking maybe the longer we'll pray, the more he'll hear us. Jesus is not saying short prayers are better. He's warning us against viewing prayer as a tool that makes things happen rather than a way we express our trust in the Lord. Viewing prayer more as an activity rather than as part of our relationship with the Lord. If we see prayer as a tool, then you and I are going to try to use it to manipulate God to give us what we want. You and I may not pray to idols in the exact same way that these 450 prophets of Baal are doing, but we do often pray to God about our idols. And sometimes it may even be praying to our idols, even though we wouldn't call it that. It doesn't look like that. The prophets of Baal prayed. Jesus said Gentiles pray. So for us, we have to ask ourselves, if we trust Jesus, do our prayers sound different than the prayers of someone who doesn't trust Jesus? Do we pray about things that are different than those who don't trust Jesus? Or are we asking God for the same things that someone who doesn't know the Lord would ask him for? Another way to think about this would be, did Jesus have to die and rise again for you to get the thing that you pray for the most? Did Jesus have to die and rise again for you and I to get the thing we want the most? If not, we're probably praying to an idol. Now, it's not bad to pray for health. It's not bad to pray for a job. It's not bad for the Lord to pray to to get you out of a bind or to help you financially or to heal your family. It's not bad to pray for any of those things. But if we pray for those in the same way, that those who don't trust the Lord pray. We might be using prayer as a tool, as an activity, not 
as a way for us to relate to the Lord. And it's possible to think we're praying to God when really we're crying out to an idol. Something that is never going to answer us back. Something that can never keep its promises. All the things in this world that are not God, though they feel promising and right, nothing in this world will ever follow through on its promises the way God can. The world and things in this world are constantly writing checks that it cannot cash. So that's why we want to trust the Lord and pray to him. So I think what we're seeing as we kind of take this turn in the story is that followers of Jesus were not unique because we pray. People all over the world of all different religions, of all different backgrounds pray. But we are to be unique because of who we pray to. And that's, that's the next part, the last part of the story here is the Lord's answer. Remember, two prayers, one answer. Baal, no one answered, no one listened, no one paid attention. But now it's Elijah's turn to pray. Back in 1 Kings 18, it's Elijah's turn to pray. And now he's going to call upon the name of the Lord. Here's what happens in verse 30. 1 Kings 18, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Let's stop right there for a second. The exact history here is not clear for us, but at some point, there was an altar on this side, an altar for the Lord, for, for Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true God. There was an altar that had been torn down. The past doesn't matter as much as this present work Elijah is doing, because in rebuilding this altar... It's a call to the people of Israel to turn away from Baal and return to the Lord. It's almost before he even prays, before he even says anything to them, it's almost a a picture of what he wants to see the Lord do in their hearts. He's rebuilding this altar just like he wants their hearts to return to the Lord. And the narrator here makes sure to highlight exactly what Elijah is doing. He gives us a a play-by-play in a sense. I'll show you what I mean in verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the, Lord, the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Elijah is setting everything up exactly how it says to set it up in the word of God. This is the opposite of what King Ahab and the prophets were doing. They were setting things up and just in a way whatever seemed right to them. But Elijah is setting things up in a way that fits what God's word says. And and we're even reminded in the way the narrator tells us in verse 31 that Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came. Baal never spoke. God's already spoken to his people. To whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. We are reminded here that the people of Israel are the people of God's promise. The word of the Lord came to them that the the Israelites have a God who speaks. They have a God who answers. They have a God who is everything Baal is not. And then in this really unique way, Elijah involves the people of Israel in what he's doing. Verse 33 And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, this is what he says to the people. 
fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. He turns this altar into a fountain in some ways. If you're wanting to offer something on wood and it catch on fire, usually your good step is not to drench the whole thing in water. Gallons and gallons of water. If you're going camping and you're trying to make a fire, you don't say, hey guys, let's make sure we can find the wettest wood. Go get the log that fell out of the creek. That's really going to help us. No, but that's what Elijah's doing. And he asked the people to come and be the ones that fill the jars of water and dump it out. I think he's having the people act out what their sin has done. The water's only making it worse. Well, their sin has made it worse. And and he calls it, did you notice the words Elijah, Elijah used in verse 33 when he tells them, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering? That's sacrifice language. That's, that's sacrifice to, to atone for my sins language from other parts of the Old Testament. It's a sacrifice to represent forgiveness, to represent cleansing, to represent sins have been paid for. So he's even involving the people as a way for them to repent of their sins and confess to the Lord and be forgiven by him. So everything's ready. The altar's been rebuilt, the stones are there, the wood, the bulls on it, the whole thing's drenched in water and covered up. And now Elijah prays, verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Compared with the prophets, Elijah's actions and Elijah's prayer are pretty low-key, pretty calm. There's not a lot of hype to Elijah's prayer. He's not praying for hours and hours and hours. He's not crying out. He's not cutting himself. He's not jumping all over the place. He methodically rebuilds the altar as the Lord's word said it was to be built, and then he prays as the Lord's word has taught him to pray. He knows he doesn't have to get the Lord's attention because he knows he already has it. He knows he doesn't have to get the Lord to speak because he knows the Lord has already spoken. He is responding to God's loving and gracious commitment to his people that he knows because he says, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Those aren't flowery prayer language to try to get God to notice him. Oh, he said a lot of names from the Old Testament. I think I'll pay attention to this prayer over here. No, he's remembering God's promises. And he's crying out to God to fulfill his promises. This also connects to to Psalm 115. That has been a key passage for us this morning. 
when it says in verses 2 and 3, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Elijah trusts that the Lord is all-powerful. Elijah trusts that the Lord is an active God. Elijah trusts that the Lord is a promise-keeping God. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So he takes us back to the promises all the way in the book of Genesis. And it makes me think of, of what the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, where he says to the Lord, Lord, your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. Your promise is well tried. Your promise has stood the test of time. Your promise is enduring. Your promise is invincible. And that's what Elijah says. He says, Lord, I know what you promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Keep carrying those promises forward, Lord. But pay close attention to what he prays for. Twice, verses 36 and 37, he says, Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And then in verse 37, he says, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Twice he prays for the Lord to answer in such a way that the people will know he is the Lord and Elijah is his servant. If it's 450 verse 1, I'm probably praying, Lord, do something that makes these people know they shouldn't mess with me. That's not what he prays. He prays, Lord, answer in a way that everyone knows you are God. Elijah's main concern, what he wants the most, is for the people to know that the Lord is the true God. For the people to know that, that he alone is the one that deserves their worship. And that's why he says that they would know that you are the Lord and I am your servant. It's similar to the way Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Elijah's main concern is God's name being honored, his kingdom coming, his will being done. So what's more important to us? The Lord's reputation or our own reputation? What's more important to us, the Lord's glory or our ease and comfort? What's more important to us, the Lord's kingdom or our kingdoms? Do our prayers sound like we are God's servants or he's our servant? Elijah prays, Lord, act in such a way that everyone knows you are God and I am your servant. Do our prayers sound like that? Do they sound like, God, we are your servants? Or do they sound like, God, serve us and do this and this and this? The heart we see in Elijah's prayer echoes throughout the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And just one tiny example shows up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul's letter. And he, and he says this, Finally, brothers, pray for us. And here's what he asked them to pray for. Pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Pray that, that God's word would run all over the world and the name of Jesus would be honored. There was a lot of things Paul could have asked them to pray for. And he asked them to pray for other things, but that's the first thing he asked them to pray for. Being more concerned with God's reputation in the world than our own is what leads us to pray like this. 
that what we want to see in our lives and what we want to see in our, and around us is people rightly responding to Jesus. And everything else we pray flows from that, that very thing. So Elijah asked God to come through on his promises and to show his people he is the one true God. And here's how the Lord answers. This is verse 38 at the end of the story. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Their sins are forgiven. Their hearts return to the Lord. God hears and he answers. Isn't this what we want? Ultimately, isn't this what we're praying for? God, would you do a work in our church? Would you do a work in our community? Would you do a work in our state? Would you do a work around this world that makes everyone look and say, the Lord, he is God. God, would you do a work in my family? Would you do a work in my neighborhood? Would you do a work in my class, on my sports team, at my job, that makes everyone look and say, the Lord, he is God. Jesus tells us, don't be like the Gentiles who heap up empty phrases, who think they're going to be heard because they have a lot of words when they pray. He actually says, you're not to be like that. The last thing he says there is, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. There's a promise. Your Father the Lord knows what you need before you ask him. The Lord, the one who acted in Elijah's day, if you trust in Jesus, is your father in heaven. And when you, through trusting in Christ, know the Lord is your father, you don't have to try to manipulate him. You don't have to try to get his attention. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that you have his attention. And so you trust him and you pray and you ask the Lord to work and you ask the Lord to move And we focus more on the one that we're praying to than on the actual activity of praying. Michael Reeves, in his great little book, it's about this thick, tiny, but really, really, really good. It's called Enjoy Your Prayer Life. He says, our tendency is to focus on prayer as an activity, which makes it boring. Instead, focus on the one to whom you're praying. Prayers are not effective because of who prays. Prayers are effective because who hears and who answers. There was no answer for those who called on Baal. And the point of the contest that Elijah set up was to show that the only one who answers is God. Baal's not God because Baal's not real. There was no voice. There was no answer. No one paid attention. And that matters because the Lord is real. He's attentive. He speaks. He answers. Only the Lord answers prayer. Prayer. 